It is so fun to be with you guys, and hopefully we make it through all the message, but if it starts pouring, we'll just adjust, all right? So what I want to talk to you tonight is about probably the biggest misconception about receiving Jesus. When I say, do you know what receiving Jesus means, probably 100% of you would say it's about going to heaven. And that's true, but that's not all. Surprisingly, the Bible talks very little about heaven and even less about what happens to you in heaven. And don't get me wrong, forgiveness in heaven's great, but is there something more? And don't get me wrong either, that forgiveness and redemption is enough. That would be sufficient, that we would have our sins covered and would have eternal security. That would be enough, but I wonder if there's something more, that he did something else. Interestingly, you know the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about heaven, but it talks a lot about what happens to you after you receive Jesus on earth. Something happened in us. Something big. Jesus didn't come to earth to die for our sins so we could get a free pass to heaven or get out of jail free card from hell. He came to do something big because when he said, whoever believes in me will have eternal life, But then he says that you will do the works I've been doing and even greater works than these. We could have been saved and redeemed and be withheld from the right punishment, but that's not what happened. You see, Jesus not only forgave us, he transformed us. Jesus didn't just save us, he transformed us. And the Bible is filled with some incredible revelations about what happened to us as we receive Jesus while we're on earth, that so few people even realize or understand because every believer knows what happens to you after you die. But very few believers know what happens to them while they're living on earth. Here's the thing is that these incredible things that happen to us are only useful while we're living on earth. The transformations that Jesus brings into our life, they're only useful for our time here on earth. But I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who are wishing to get out of earth and get into heaven. That they want to leave earth, that they think, oh, life is so terrible, there's so much evil, there's so much bad things. Don't get me started on politics. There's just horrible things. And, and so they're like, take me now, Jesus, please. And so many believers live as if they're waiting for a rescue mission to escape this miserable planet. And to go to heaven. And there's nothing wrong with aspiring that the glories in heaven await. But there's a problem when so many Christians are fixated on where they go after they die, they never know how to live on earth. And so people think that Jesus is going to rescue from their world, from this world, but they don't realize that Jesus wants to work through you to partner with you to redeem this world. And so you're not going to be very good at redeeming this world if you're trying to escape from this world. And so I suggest to you that when you got saved, it wasn't about you getting into heaven. It actually was about heaven getting into you. In other words, you weren't just saved to go to heaven. You were saved so that you could be transformed and become heaven to a hurting world around us. And so by doing so, when you receive Jesus, you become the living God to the people around you. Because it says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So not are you just secured in heaven, but you have been transformed. Think about it. There'd be no reason for God to transform you while on earth if he didn't want you to accomplish his work on earth. 
We're secured in heaven. We're saved. But he transforms us. Why? It's because he wants to accomplish his work on earth through you. And so it begs the question, well, how are we transformed? Do we even really know? Because you can't live the life that you're capable of in Christ if you have no awareness of what he did in you and wants to do through you. And so when we really understand what happens in us through believing in Jesus, it changes everything. And there's about five or six incredible revelations that I wanted to share, but I think we're only going to do one tonight. And the first is this, and it's the most important one. First and foremost is that you are new. When you receive Jesus, not only are you eternally secure, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation, and the old is gone. Yes, you're saved for eternity, but more significantly, you became a new creation here and now. And so the first and foremost thing is you need to know that that is taking place in you. And why is this important? It's because so many Christians are trying to improve their former life. They're spending so much effort and so much time transforming their old life. But here's the reality is that your old self is gone. Your old self is absolutely gone. Jesus didn't come to give you an upgrade. He didn't come to remodel your life. When you got saved, you didn't get an improvement. You actually got a replacement. Where did the old man go? He's dead. I don't understand how this is the case, but Romans 6.6 6 says that you were crucified with Christ. You actually died with him. And so not only is your old man gone, you are a new person. So why did the old man die? The old man died because the old man was unfixable. Jesus looks like it would be easier to make you something brand new than to try and fix what you have going on. But so many people, they're trying with all their manpower, all their effort to try and fix the dead man, never realizing they have a new identity in Christ. And so as you receive Jesus and receive eternal security, you must step into this new creation, but also more importantly, a new identity in this new creation. Well, what's that new identity? The new identity is the righteousness of God. See, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Your old identity was a sinner in need of a Savior. Your new identity is righteousness in Christ. But I thought I was a sinner saved by grace. Well, that's what you used to be. But now you're a new creation that is the righteousness of God. But you might say, well, I don't feel righteous. Right? We all wrestle with that. Well, we probably need to tell our feelings what the truth is. Because despite what you feel, that's what the Bible says is happening in you. And more importantly to this is that your feelings are not the truth. We live in an age, a time period in our world where if I feel it, I am it. That our feelings determine what truth is, and that is not the reality. In fact, you will never, I'm convinced of this, you will never walk in the fullness of God as long as you are trying to entertain your feelings to let you be ruled by them for what you believe. If you are allowing your feelings to determine what you believe, you will live a powerless life because your feelings are not the truth. In fact, your feelings and faith are incompatible. I actually believe that faith is measured by what you do and believe despite your feelings. 
Faith's greatest measure is what you do when you don't feel like it, when you don't believe it. You have to say, I don't feel like this is true, but it is true. So why is it important that you identify as a new creation that is righteous in God's eyes? Is because you will live up to the identity you give yourself. It's easy to say I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's really hard to say I'm a new creation in the righteousness of God. But you are going to live up to the identity that you give yourself. But the problem is we give ourselves identities all the time. And isn't it interesting that we give ourselves identities that are no, let's say, they're not flattering to us. We make identities based upon our struggles, our failures. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a hothead. I'm a stress case. I'm a workaholic. I'm a stoner. I'm addicted to porn. We give ourselves these identities based on struggles. And we need to watch what we say, what comes out of our mouth as we struggle and we wrestle to have victory in this life. Why? Is because from identity flows behavior. The identity you align yourself with is going to begin to inform the decisions and your behavior. So don't make those declarations about your life because you will live up to that identity. Instead, you should say, I'm free in Christ. I'm victorious. I don't know how it works, but I'm free. Despite my struggle, I am free. There's just areas of my life that have not yet come into the authority of my freedom yet, but I'm free. That takes some faith. It doesn't take any faith to believe you are struggling and bound and can't get out. But our words are so important because words create worlds. What comes out of your mouth, what you believe about who you are, what your purpose for is powerful. How did God create the world? With words. How do we get saved? By belief, but by the confessing of our mouth. Words. How are you going to ruin your life? probably with some words. Are you following me here? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's Proverbs 18.21. So you might feel addicted. You might feel like you are stuck, but it's not the truth because sin is no longer our master in a new creation that is the righteousness of God. But we need to realize that our mouths will create declarations about ourselves that create self-fulfilling prophecies. I watch this play out all the time. I will never be free. I will never be happy. I will never have peace. I will never be victorious. And you know what? You won't. As long as you partner with the lie that you never will, you're not going to exceed your own expectations. Your behavior will never exceed the expectations you place upon yourself. That's why when you give yourself the identity of a new creation, that's the righteousness of God, it is an elevation of your identity you actually can live to. But we create identities that actually suppress us and bring us down. Now, here's an identity I lived with for so long, is that I am just a sinner saved by grace. For the longest time, I was just, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, a sinner saved by grace is not who you are. It's who you were. This is a very important distinction because a sinner saved by grace is actually your history. Because the old man's gone, right? So a sinner saved by grace is actually talking about a dead man who no longer exists. It doesn't mean that you're incapable of sin. It just means that it, the former man is gone. And so I believe that to say that I'm just a sinner saved by grace is actually to live in the past. Just because that's where you came from doesn't mean that's who you are now. You are actually aligning your identity with something that is no longer true about you. 
you can't still be a sinner saved by grace and also a new creation that is the righteousness of God. Those are two incompatible thoughts. And so you've been given freedom in him. You've been given righteousness in him. If you were free from addiction, let's say alcohol, 10 years ago, would you still claim that you're addicted? You probably wouldn't. But here's what I learned personally. When I reduced myself just to a sinner saved by grace is I continued to sin and continued to need grace. Because I set the expectation for my life, not a victory, not as a new creation, but as a sinner saved by grace. And my entire life was reduced down to continual struggle. And because that was my expectation was that I would never have victory. My expectation is I would live an entire life stuck. I'm going to share something personal. When I was in the third grade on a school bus, some boys brought a penthouse magazine on the bus. Third grade. I don't know about you, but it's like, it's not we start with like swimsuit edition or anything like that. And for about 15 years, stuck in this bondage of pornography. And I'd use all the language like I'm an addict, I'm just a sinner, I'm just all these things. 15 years of my life and I remained enslaved from the sin that supposedly I was set free from. You see, my life didn't match my theology because my theology says I'm free. But my life is like stuck. And so I wrestle with that, that Christ sets me free. And he might set you free, but he hasn't set me free yet. And the reason for that is that my identity never expected me to be free. I minimized my struggle. So it's every guy's problem. It's no big deal. It's just something. And so as I made accommodations in my identity, I continued to struggle in it. It takes... No faith to believe that you are addicted when you fall. It takes all the faith in you to believe that you are free when you fall. And so it wasn't until I began to align my identity, that my identity, my position is freedom. I am standing from a position of freedom and victory over all condemnation, all sin, all struggle. My position is free. I still have struggle, but as soon as I realized that, I even remember the verse of 1 Corinthians 6.12, that sin shall no longer be master over you, that nothing will master you. Here's what I learned. When I realized that sin was no longer my master, that nothing will master me, my position is free, I was able to walk out. And I learned this is that it's possible to be free in Christ, yet still a voluntary slave to sin. I was a voluntary slave to sin. I just didn't know it because my identity made room for the truth that I would continue to struggle and be in sin. And when I realized I didn't have to be in sin and struggle, I became victorious over temptation, not through willpower, but through identity. I began to make declarations over my identity that I am not my struggle. I am not my addiction. I'm not my behavior. I'm not my feelings. My true identity is free, righteous, a new creation. And I walked out in total freedom because Christ comes and breaks the locks from the prison in your jail cell. But you need to leave the prison. You need to know that the doors are unlocked, but you can remain captive voluntarily to sin if you allow it. Because identity is where your behavior is going to flow from. And so people ask, how and why does this work? Why does behavior flow from identity? It's because an identity as a new creation produces righteous living because we have value that we didn't have before. When you're a sinner saved by grace, you don't have a whole lot of value. 
But when you are the righteousness of God, a brand new creation, suddenly there is more value. And this is what I learned, is that when I aligned my identity with being righteous in a new creation, I actually had something to protect. Because you protect what you value. You will protect what you value. Sin for me was not necessarily a temptation. It was the result of not valuing myself and valuing my life against the corrosive effects of sin. I did not value or care for my life enough to protect it. And so you are valuable to God when you view yourself as his righteousness, as the new creation, and you'll take care of yourself. I just bought two mountain bikes because we live in the mountains now. Man, these things are expensive. After every ride, I'll, like, polish it. I mean, I clean the tires. Like, I don't know why. Because it was expensive. You protect and you guard what is valuable. Now, on the other hand, I have a $30 Target tricycle with, with training wheels that I wish someone comes steal from my yard. It'd do me a favor. And therefore, I don't protect it. But when you value something so much, you begin to make different choices. And the choices of your life reveal what you value. And as soon as I realized that I was valuable to God, the chains of my addiction broke off at the age of 21. And for over 15 years, been utterly free, not for any other reason or willpower or accountability, though those things are fine, but the identity is what is going to cause a change in who you are. And the value that it has will inform your choices because the choices of your life will reveal what you value. Value informs choices. Identity informs behavior. The problem is so much of what we typically do is we try to convince ourselves, and the church historically in the past tries to convince you of the badness of sin, which is true. But the badness of sin only means something when it can damage something of value. It doesn't matter how much we scare people about the corrosive and damaging effects of our decisions and sin. That is true. We should not shy away from that. Don't misunderstand me. But the badness of sin only matters if it can damage something of value. And when I lived my life trying to convince myself that sin was bad, I realized something unfortunate, that sin was actually really fun. No one ever told me that. No one told me that this is bad, it's harmful because you're valuable. And so I knew it was bad, but it's bad, but it's also fun. How do I understand this? And so, yes, we have to be clear on that, but we have to walk in a way that protects and moves us into freedom. And not to blame anyone or anything. These are my own personal challenges. But sometimes we sing songs that reduce our own value. We sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch. Oh. The devil used that word to reduce my value for so many years because I didn't value who I was. I didn't value what I was worth. And Satan said, well, you're already a wretch. What matter does it make? A little more sin. And so as we have an identity that reduces its value, we no longer have the ability to choose in a way to protect ourselves. And so we need to be thankful, recognize the truth, and not minimizing who we are, not minimizing sin, but walking in the identity. Here's a key. is the devil can't steal you from heaven, but he can help you make decisions that ruin your life. And the way he does it is to minimize who you are and to minimize the effects of sin, because if he convinces you it's no big deal, 
then you are going to never guard yourself. It's the same thing in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that? He comes and questions the truth. And so when you walk in that DNA, I'm new, I'm righteous. The enemy's right there saying, did God really mean that? Is that really the truth? And so as a new creation, the righteousness of God, I found that our identity is the most important thing that we can get right in this believer's life. Because sin and temptation is no longer attractive. It's a question of how much poison is okay. If someone had a dropper of poison, put it in your coffee, and you might, well, one drop won't kill me, but maybe, well, two? I don't know. Maybe three? Possibly. You don't know, and that's how we need to look at our identity. Because when Jesus came to save you, the expectation is not that you go to heaven. The expectation is that you partner with God to transform the earth, that salvation is not about defining where you go after you die. It's about defining how you live on this earth because the promises of transformation are proof that you're supposed to live a a powerful life. And too many believers have bought the fire insurance and are missing life on earth because they don't realize that they were called to change the world. And I'm leaving it there. Amen. Typically, our worship band would come back up, and I would talk to you about what's the difference? What difference does this make? Let me shortly tell you, there are days, because I would hear sermons like that, and I had what we want to call Paul's thorn. I could describe it for you, but I don't have time. But I would feel so condemned. I'm like, I've heard that a million times. And the Holy Spirit taught me in the last year I will sometimes talk to my soul because words are powerful, and I will tell my soul, you will bend your knee to my spirit man. My spirit man is in charge. So if you were sitting here tonight and the enemy kept reminding you that works for everybody but you, you and your dirty little secret, whatever your little secret is, you might be a gossip, you might be a liar, you might drink too much alcohol, you might actually have some kind of sex that ain't right, and you know it's not right. If the Holy Spirit was speaking to you tonight, I encourage you believe what Eric taught. There are times my sons and daughters, they'll act bad, and I'm like, that is not you. Stop acting like that. We have to come to that mentality as mature believers, and we have lived for too long with religion in the church that makes us feel dead on the inside because we come out of a sermon like this, and we're like, but if you knew my life, because those verses never work, they will. You just have to believe that your identity is bigger than your behavior. Because when you start talking to yourself and telling yourself, I tell myself, like road rage, no, you don't get to act like that. Slow down. I just bought a new V6 2018 Camry, and I tell myself, you have to be a Christian. (laughs) So I just encourage you tonight, as we leave this place, wherever the enemy's been telling you, you're never going to be different, you can be. Believe the truth over your behavior. And when you feel bad, suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Believe the truth over your behavior. Because if you'll believe the truth, your behavior will change and your feelings will change as well. Father, as we come to the end of this night, we thank you, Lord, for holding the rain back. You're such a great God. And so I pray that we would celebrate the truth over our behavior and that we would believe the truth over facts. Because pretty soon, if you'll believe the truth, Your behavior will change. Your facts will change. And so will your feelings. 
So I bless you tonight. As a father in the kingdom, I bless you that everything that the Holy Spirit spoke to your spirit would not be snatched out and that you would have the courage and the bravery. I'm 62 years old, and God has given me victory over a thorn in my flesh that I have dealt with all of my life in the last year. It is time that those of us, there's a lot of gray hairs in this crowd tonight. Uh, some of us ain't got hair. And so I just encourage you, if you're here tonight, you're not a young adult, ask the Holy Spirit, give me back the dreams of my youth. Start walking it out because there's a revival that's coming to this region. And it is going to need, when God begins to bring all the young adults into the kingdom, it's gonna, there's got to be some of us older people who have the authority to actually father and mother. And you will not have it if you do not begin to ask Holy Spirit. These, these things that have, I've dealt with all of my life, what is the truth over my behavior? Because your strongholds can change. So I bless you tonight in Jesus' name. We celebrate the victory that is ours.